For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. This is the Eastside Liquor Halftime Podcast. Oh, intermission. No, it's halftime. Stop by 9390 Rogers Avenue for the best liquor, beer, and wine deals in the River Valley. Arkansas wins the national championship! Check out Eastside Liquor on Facebook for weekly specials. Say goodbye! Darren McFadden, 80 yards, touchdown! Did you see, I love this, the Tampa Bay Rays, they'd already clinched a playoff spot. They clinched a playoff spot 10 days ago. They, yesterday, they're still in second place. They're behind the Baltimore Orioles. I think Ori- the Orioles' magic number now is down to one to clinch their division. But 10 days after the Rays clinched their playoff spot, they had their clubhouse celebration. This is, a little, this is kind of a little bit rare because usually you do a lot of jumping around, leaping around, and celebrating running a little bit. on the yeah. field after you win the game or whomever needed to lose lost, and you know that you're a playoff team for a fact. But they waited. They waited, and they were in Boston when it happened with a 5 nothing shutout of the Red Sox. So it's just, it's a, uh, <clears throat> could you imagine delaying your World Series celebration by a week and a half? Hold on, everybody. Wait a minute. No, this isn't happening at home. We need to do this. We have time to plan out the entire celebration. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was funny last year when uh, the Miami Heat won the Eastern Conference Finals and uh, Jimmy Butler wouldn't touch the trophy. And then they go to the NBA Finals and they lose. Yeah. So then he's like, doesn't he's like, no, nah, you know, because so it's everybody kind of goes about it different. Some people, it's just about that final that final chip or or the yeah the ability to get to that that last series. Like I remember sooner or later after you've won the Lamar Hunt Trophy four years in a row. Like put yourself in the Buffalo Bills mindset from the nineties. Mm-hmm. They won the Lamar Hunt Trophy to goes to the champion of the AFC four years in a row. The first time you win it, man, you're fired up, you're celebrating, you're ready to dump champagne on everybody's head. After you've done it for three more times, don't you think, hey, everybody, just leave that Leave that thing alone. Don't touch it. The hockey players do that too. You they know, do. they won't touch Lord Stanley's Cup until it's in, until it's there, and then they do everything with it, right? Well, I mean, even like college baseball, there are some teams that make a huge celebration out of winning a regional or winning a super regional, or just, you know, they'll yeah. they'll dogpile and everything. There's some teams that won't that just treat it like, hey, we're supposed to do this. We're not celebrating until we either win the whole thing or make it to Omaha. Would you see if I'm a, if I'm a college basketball team and we make a Final Four? Are you cutting down? the nets in that elite eight game absolutely see i would be too now that's that's what i'm that's right but what if you what's a what's a program that's made it to the final four a bunch but doesn't have a national title i can't think of one of the top of the well off my head but that'll be the kind of thing gonzaga gonzaga how many times has gonzaga made it to the final kind of underwhelmed but i would bet you mark few would never you cannot allow yourself 
to be jaded about making the Final Four. I know, right? I don't want to be ever. I don't ever want to feel jaded about making it to the College World to Series. To making it to Omaha. That's what I'm trying to say. If you make it to Omaha, you got to be happy. You got to celebrate. So then you got to raise that Lamar. I want to call it Lamar Porter Trophy. The, the, the little the, the baseball field in Little Rock. Uh, you got to you got to you got to embrace raising that Lamar Hunt Trophy. And then there's the other side of that, which I've. I've uh, experienced a couple of times uh, and been told the stories of it. Like people will text in on our McClarty Daniel text line and remind me about '92 and the Braves beating the Pirates. Um, so that happened in Atlanta. I interned for the Pirates four years later in the media relations office, and my boss was the guy that was had the same job in 1992. Uh, his he had to get. Imagine doing this. He grew up in Pittsburgh. Had been working for that team for ten years by then. He was the one that when it looked like they were going to win the championship series and go to the World Series, he had to roll the champagne into the clubhouse, mm-hmm. right? And help put up all of the Viz Queen on the lockers so that nothing would get ruined. And then when the Braves won on the last pitch and it was one strike to go, his job was to take down all the Viz Queen and wheel the champagne from the Pirates Clubhouse to the Braves Clubhouse. And I think I might rather be a pallbearer than do that. Who was the uh, Who was the Frank Wright comeback game against the Buffalo Bills when uh, when they were they were down twenty one? Yeah, that was the Houston Oilers. The Houston Oilers. So they had people on the Houston Oilers sideline at halftime were making reservations for the next game, the next week, and doing all buying tickets and doing everything. And then Frank Wright gets in there. What were they down twenty one, twenty four, and just come? I mean, what about a great comeback? Well, do you think the Atlanta Falcons did some drape measuring of 28-3 to against the Patriots? That or do is... you think some of them are late? No, hold on a minute. That's Tom Brady over there. And we haven't won anything yet. I'm imagining somebody was measuring some drapes. Man, they, they, that was so weird how they quit running the ball. Um, that was the, that's the biggest uh, L as far as for a winning team, the biggest blunder that you could have. I don't know if it's – it's, it's kind of like the Broncos giving up 70. I mean, that there is no excuse uh, for the Falcons to have lost that Super Bowl. What about Russell Wilson throwing at the goal line instead ball, of handing run off? Run the ball. It's, all, that's a, it's a, that's the like ball. That you can always I got retreat Marshawn to the Lynch. thought of run the ball, please. That's, that's, it's like I got Marshawn Lynch. That's why it's like when I got if I'm KJ, I got Richard DeBinion at there. Like, hey, if he's got a little hole, I'm giving him the ball. And but are you doing do it under thing. center or are you doing it in the shotgun? I'm, I'm letting him do it. It doesn't matter. We got to get we got to get beast mode the ball right there. It doesn't matter, but it seems to maybe matter if you uh, need just an inch or two inches or three inches. You know, whatever they feel comfortable on, whatever they're working on, and and there's different ways to go about it. I I get what the Philadelphia Eagles do. They they do some of that rugby, that scrum, and that's you get down there shoulder to shoulder and tilt in. They've been stopped on that once. Tilt in a little bit and get low and push the ground. That's 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 how they they teach them up there, and maybe. you, you see soccer coaches. You, I've seen soccer coaches go and, and scout like the Miami Heat with Coach Spolstra, working, seeing their inbound plays and running the same type of plays there. Maybe you need to have somebody go over there and see some rugby or, or see their technique and see how they do it and implement it in, in, into our game if it that's, works. That's interesting. I read a story about the um, how the San Diego Padres have just disintegrated this year from being one of the biggest payrolls in the game and winning the offseason, I think, two years in a row, um, you know, to uh, to missing the playoffs again. And uh, I think it goes it goes 
pretty much to the general manager, A.J. Preller, who is a really difficult person to work for. But I'd also read that he he wanted one of those he wanted one of those perspectives, Matt, from somebody that wasn't not even not from the United States, but had no idea about baseball. He, he went to a, a rugby coach from New Zealand, paid his way to move to the United States so that he could have another set of eyes and somebody that had a totally different perspective on things. And some of the coaches were totally put off by it because here's this guy who's just sitting in meetings, nodding his head, taking notes, and then he'll pull us aside asking random questions that sometimes don't make any sense. He's just trying to figure it out. But He is, but I think it's... <laughs> Maybe and look, it wasn't all negative from him. It's just um, it didn't necessarily work because yeah. the Padres aren't any good this year, and they should be. You know, baseball, and, and you kind of said something uh, when we were, you were talking about Brooks Robinson uh, about hitting the baseball, and and back then the defense mattered a little more. I, I think baseball. I, I'm not saying. You know, you look at all the sports, football, basketball, baseball, those are the three main sports in America. Do you, do you th- I, I thought baseball was better in the 80s and the 90s, and I don't know if that's just my youth talking, but visually, aesthetically, how the game was played, there was more action. These, these home run strikeout games are just, it's so just, oh, yawn. I agree. I agree. I th- and and I, I try to fight against the prevailing ideas. As we get older, everything was better when we were younger. <clears throat> it's not always the case. And I think in this case, the athletes are better. The game itself, Whatever the way the, it's played, what right? is valued, exactly. isn't as exciting as it was before. And you know, now you actually have hard facts of what some of these rules changes have led to this year. And you've got, look, you got a, you got your first ever 40-70 season from Ronald Acuna. That wouldn't have happened without the rules changes, without the bigger bases, the two-pickoff rule and all of that. That wouldn't have happened. Ronald Acuna, you know, we were talking about a, a Ron Gantz not too long ago, but and, and another Atlanta a- athlete, Warwick Dunn. Ronald Acuna kind of looks like a Warwick Dunn, like the way he goes about it, man, just phenomenal speed. Uh, kind of just an, a natural athlete, does whatever he wants to out there on and the field. Somebody worth rooting for too. One of the weird things, though, about that, about this, <clears throat> the, the 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 facts of baseball this year, in a in a year where they're trying to reduce some of that whole three true outcome thing, home run, strikeout, walk. The percentage of plate appearances that have ended in one of the three true outcomes actually rose a little bit this year, just a little bit. Batting averages went up because you can't shift anymore. But the home runs, the strikeouts, and the walks also went up. And that's because players are still coached the same way that they were the year before. Um, These changes will be incremental, I think, with those three true outcomes. The other things, time of game, stolen bases, that happened immediately. But I think the... um, I think the I think more balls in play and seeing guys like Brooks Robinson do their thing at third base. Brooks Robinson would be a Gold Glove winner now if he played. He just wouldn't have as many chances to show it off, which is kind of sad when you think about it. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games available to play right from your phone. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE. That's B L E A V. Your fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. The year of the sauce continues at Buffalo Wild Wings. Introducing Bullet Bourbon Barbecue Sauce and the return of hot barbecue sauce to the Buffalo Wild Wings sauce lineup. 
Try both Bullet Bourbon Barbecue Sauce and Hot Barbecue Sauce for a limited time at your local Buffalo Wild Wings. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings in Little Rock, Sherwood, Bryant, Conway, Jonesboro, and Fort Smith. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings, sauce, beer, and football. Hey, Bob. How you doing today? What's new? I'm good. How are you guys? I just getting ready to head out to uh, head down to Arlington tomorrow. Get to watch a little little basketball practice this afternoon. Going to do a few interviews, but beautiful sunny day in Fayetteville. That's right. It's almost. It's um, do you count crossover season as when practice starts or when the basketball season starts? I guess probably when practice starts and we start doing things. Um, obviously, the season is much busier than the preseason, but I mean they're going to have. I think they have the red white game October fourth, which I think is next week. And then they'll start having those exhibition games. I don't know. Who, I don't, we know they're playing Purdue, and that's a really big deal for an exhibition game. So, yeah, this is always a busy time of the year because you got when football and basketball are both going on and. Um, you got you know cross country seasons going on. You got volleyball. I mean, I'll cover all the many of the other sports, but it's, it's always a busy time. It's it's going to be a totally different team this year on that on that basketball team. Uh, do you, do you uh, are you a fan of how they all went low digit numbers? Yeah, it's interesting. I guess this you know used to be. I think this is right. You could only do uh, numbers that the uh, like the officials could do with their fingers, signaling fouls, but. I read somewhere where Connor Van over, you know, the former Razorback is going to wear 75 at Missouri, so some guys are going low and some are going high. But, yeah, I think if, you know, I know the numbers are, are important to, to the kids a lot of times. Those are high school numbers. Maybe their dad's number or somebody important to them or they just maybe their favorite player's number. So, yeah, I think I think it's great the kids can have whatever number they want without restrictions. Bob, when you look at the last nine times Arkansas has beaten Texas A&M, for the most part, they played in um, in a good bowl game. Uh, even back, you know, look at 1984. Beat A&M, played in the Liberty Bowl. The Liberty Bowl was a really meaningful, meaningful bowl then. Uh, Outback in 21, Cotton Bowl, Sugar Bowl, more Cotton Bowls. You beat A&M, you play in a good bowl game. At least that's what it looks like for Arkansas over the last 40 years. Yeah, I mean, if they win this game, it doesn't assure them of, of, of a bowl game or, you know, a major bowl game, and if they lose, it doesn't mathematically eliminate them. But yes, you're right. Historically, this game has, as you know, the winner of this game. Well, I'm not that sure. A and M won last year, five and seven. But yeah, I think for Arkansas to have the kind of season they want to have, they really need to win this game. I'll put it that way. Bob, have you seen enough out of this defense? How do you think we match up against Bobby Petrino's Texas A&M? And, and they're going to have a different quarter. They're not going to have their usual starting quarterback. But um, how do you think this defense matches up against their offense? Well, you know, the defense played really well for almost the entire first half last week. And then Jane Daniels and those great receivers, he's got at LSU. Like, you know, like neighbors, they, they, they had that fast drive. Uh, to score right for the half, and then they they were literally unstoppable in the second half. So, but I, I think A and M is good. I don't think they're as talented as LSU. I do think you know by Petrino. I think everybody in Arkansas knows he's a very formidable play caller, and he's great at getting mismatches and really exploiting those. You know, you just, you know you think back to his time here, and you can see Joe Adams and and uh, Jerry Wright running those crossing routes and getting the ball in space. So I think something Arkansas really has to be wary of is. His playmakers, like Evan Stewart, 
and Anaya Smith, you know, getting the ball in space. Um, you know, down there should be a deep route, although they can hit some deep routes. But, yeah, I think going against five turn offense, I mean, we saw Missouri State last year, right? Those guys really targeted on the fourth quarter uh, before Arkansas got it turned around. So, yeah, I think it's a very formidable challenge for Arkansas. You know, Bob is going to be ultra, um, you know, motivated for this game. I'm sure he's motivated for every game, but I think he'll be especially hyped for this one. So I, I think it's going to be a, a really big challenge for, you know, the, the Arkansas defense, obviously the secondary in particular. And Max Johnson, he's not your run-of-the-mill backup quarterback. You know, we, we know Connor Wagner, their, their Wagman, their starters out, but Johnson's, tw- he's a, he's a fourth-year sophomore because of COVID year. He's tw- he turned 22 in the summer. He's thrown 42 touchdown passes at LSU and A&M. He's thrown for close to 5,000 yards. He's, this will be, I think, his 18th start. So he's, uh, and he started against Arkansas last year when A&M won. So he, he's a very seasoned backup. He's kind of like one of those old NFL backups that's been in the league forever. You know, he's, he's a very experienced quarterback. So, um, yeah, I'm sure A&M would really have Wegman because he won the starting job. But Max Johnson's certainly a very capable, capable replacement. Yeah, I think they feel the same way about their quarterback, like Arkansas feels about their backup quarterback. The difference is Criswell hasn't had the chance to play very much, and Max Johnson was, you know, was their was their guy for a good chunk of last year, and and is now going to be the guy for the rest of the season. But I want to keep it on defense here for a moment, Bob. Um, are, do do you feel any surprise? that you really just saw Jaheim Thomas and Chris Paul Jr. on the field against LSU as far as linebackers. Um, you know, Greer's had one great play with an interception return for a touchdown. Um, you know, he had the the um, the late hit on the quarterback call, which I think was a bogus call. He never got on the field against LSU. You know, Spence has shown a little something. He wasn't out there much. And uh, I guess I thought that, they, that, that, that the coaching staff might have had a little more trust in the linebacking position uh, outside of the two guys. I think Thomas and Paul are great, but, man, they were out there for a lot of plays. Yeah, and maybe the defense as a whole sort, sort of wore down. Maybe both defenses did because LSU didn't do a very good job of stopping Army. So, obviously, you know, Jaheim Thomas, the transfer from Cincinnati, he's leading them in tackles. I think he may have, maybe has been the leading tackler every game. He's one of the top tackle guys in the SEC, and he's done real well. You know, Coop Paul is, is their guy, and he missed some time earlier because he'd been injured in camp, and then he had to miss the first half of, uh, I guess, the uh, – I can't remember. I guess it was the, the, the Kent State game because of targeting. But, yeah, you're right. I think, uh, you know, Greer is showing, you know, some, some good things, you know, the big play against Kent State. So it probably would help them if they feel comfortable to, to get some of more of those guys in the rotation. Of course, they've been rotating defensive linemen because they want to get after the quarterback. But, um, yeah, I think maybe there's more depth in there than are shown. But, you know, in a tight game, coaches have a tendency, I think, to, to go with, uh, with their top guys. Um, and maybe we're, you know, like Brad Spence, he's very uh, talented, but he is a true freshman, so I don't know if you want to throw him in the fire there at Death Valley. But, um, it, it, yeah, I think, it, yeah, I think the, the fewer snaps guys can play after a certain point, it, it's going to make them, you know, sharper after a while. It gets to be diminishing returns if they're out there for 65, 70 snaps or whatever. Bob, I want to go over to the to the offensive side of the ball and specifically about one player, uh, Rocket Sanders. What what do you expect out of him, if anything? Well, I think he's going to play. You know, last week he didn't really feel like he was going to play. We knew he'd been out there practice early in the week. 
but he wasn't doing much. You know, this week, um, you know, we only get to see Monday and Tuesday. And full disclosure, I wasn't out there Tuesday because I had another uh, thing I had to go to. But I know from our other fine B crew folks, uh, Rocket was out there in their what they call their quote fastball starts, which is when they uh, do some you know ones versus ones, good on good. And the Rocket was out there with, with the starters. And he seems to be doing more, and I wouldn't necessarily expect Sam Pittman or any coaches to just lay out exactly what's going to happen. But you know, Sam was fairly forthcoming about saying they thought Rocket <coughs> was going to miss a couple of games, and then um, now he had said for, for sure he's going to play, and they're probably waiting to see how he does here at the end of the week, and maybe sometimes even pregame warrants. But I, I do have a much better feeling that he'll play, and I think because they've been smart about it and haven't rushed him back. He can come back and play at a pretty high level. I'm sure he's super anxious uh, to get out there and perform, and he'd obviously be a huge boost to the team. I think not just because physically he's one of the best players, but I just think mentally he makes you feel really good when, when, when you get a guy like that back. Bob, of course, does um, the SEC notebook uh, every Thursday uh, at the Democrat Gazette. Of course, you can also read it online at wholehogsports.com because the coaches have their teleconference every Wednesday and uh, Bob's part of that. I did not realize that Kirby Smart set a record in the SEC for a number of wins in his first 100 games. Uh, victory this past Saturday is 85th. One more than Nick Saban won in his first 100 games tear. at Alabama. That's that's actually amazing to that's think ass. about. Unbelievable. Two national titles in your first 100 games and one more win than Nick Saban. Especially when you think about his first year was eight and five. So since then, whatever whatever eighty five minus eight is at uh, ten. So what, what's eighty five minus eight? That's, I think he's seventy seven and ten since his second year. I mean that's consider that who they've been playing. And of course, like you say, he's won two national titles, played for another one, got beat by Alabama and Saban, and. Um, you know, Georgia's a great program with lots of resources, but you still have to really marvel in this day and age what, with what Kirby Smart's done down there at Georgia. And, um, yeah, if, if, you're, if you're doing something better than Nick Saban does over a, a long haul, uh, you know, that, that that's pretty impressive uh, with the, the people has, has bested the, uh, the teacher, at least for now. We'll, we'll see what happens, you know, the rest of the next few years, I guess. Yeah. Bob, I, I, we we all know how important every game is. Is there any extra importance to this game? How is the feel with, with the coaches and the players? Because this, I mean, this is a this is a big game for how Arkansas season could go. Yeah, I think it's a huge game. I mean, you know, if they lose, obviously they got to say that there's plenty more games left and time to turn things around. And if they win, I'm sure they'll say, "Wow, that was when we had to win," you know. And, but I really do think it's a critical, and it's a huge game for, I mean, every game is big for Jimbo Fisher. I mean, you talk about being on the hot seat. And I know Sam Pittman's been, you know, catching it from some fans for the last couple of weeks. But I mean, Jimbo Fisher, I mean, he was not, he was hired to win national championships. I mean, the president or chancellor, or whatever they have at A&M, Commandant or whatever, actually like gave him a plaque like national champion to fill in the year. And, uh, they had the one great year in 2020, the COVID year, they went nine and one. And then, really, the other years it's been eight and four. You know, eight and five. And last year, five and seven. Really, not anywhere near the expectations after he won a national title at Florida State, and and there was so much rigmarole about him coming to A and M, and he's making you know ten million a year, whatever it is. But, you know, they owe him seventy some million, but 
you know, talking to the Aggie people, um, you know, people cover A and M. It's sort of like, man, eight wins ain't going to cut it. You know, nine. I mean, I don't know. So Jim O'Fisher, I mean, everyone's huge to him. But yeah, this would be a huge win for Arkansas, especially since the series has been so frustrating for Arkansas. So many close losses like last year. So many bizarre ways to lose. Um, and then you know, if you lose this game, then you're, you've got a three-game losing streak going to Ole Miss, and then after that, Alabama. That's really tough. And I may be crazy. Um, you know, speaking of coaches making a lot of money, Lane Kiffin, you know, he got a huge uh, increase, I guess, when he flirted with Auburn. He's making, I think, $9.5 million. And he's a good coach, no doubt, and he's done a good job there. But uh, uh, in their last six games, in the last six SEC games, Ole Miss is one in five. Now, granted, there's a couple losses in there to Alabama. But if they lose to LSU on Saturday at home, they'll be one in six in their last seven SEC games. They're not paying them nine and a half million dollars to be one in six. And so I think if, if, if Ole Miss loses and Arkansas wins, Arkansas will have a shot to win at Ole Miss. Hey, sports fans, don't let plumbing issues throw you off your game. Pascal Air Plumbing and Electric is here to tackle those pesky drain blockages and ensure your water heater is always in MVP form. With Pascal's world-class service, you can count on a winning play every time. Whether it's a quick drain clear or a water heater touchdown, Pascal's got the expertise to keep your home running smoothly. Stay in the game and leave the plumbing to the pros. Schedule your service online anytime at gopascal.com. Pascal Air Plumbing and Electric. Are you in need of an attorney? Hickey and Hull Law Partners is your firm. Hickey and Hull understand the importance of client communication, meeting with you, responding to emails, and returning calls. Hickey and Hull are attorneys you can trust to guide you through a divorce or a custody case, criminal charges, or even civil lawsuit. Ready to put their seven decades of experience to work for you and get the best results. Every case is important. Hickey and Hull Law Partners strive to give each client the time and attention it deserves. Visit them at KevinHickeyLaw.com. Hickey and Hull Law Partners. Things are about to get better. And now, back to the podcast. This is an interesting story, and it's sad, really sad. Tim Wakefield has brain cancer. The knuckleball pitcher for the Pirates and the uh, Boston Red Sox. You know, he, just like Adam Wainwright, finished his career at 200 wins. Yet uh, Wakefield's not going to be a Hall of Famer in ERA in the mid-fours. Wainwright will get some votes. Now, he won but, that one World Series or two World Series with the Red Sox. Uh, Wakefield won a couple of World Championships. Yeah, he was, so he won both of them with them. Yeah. He also gave up one of the more famous home runs in postseason history, the Aaron Boone yeah, uh, walk-off kinda, 2003 yeah. home run. Yeah. Of course, the Sox got ultimate revenge the next year. Uh, the other side of this is that Kurt Schilling is the guy who released the information about Wakefield's cancer, and he did it on his on his podcast and he did it without Wakefield's knowledge or or blessing. So there's there's a bit of a I think the word could be kerfuffle over Kurt, this. Kurt's a firecracker, ain't he? Not the kind of firecracker I'd like to play with very much. You got you don't want to close your hand around <laughs> it. Yeah. I don't know if I want to be around that firecracker. Um, there's there has I don't know the whole story yet and and uh you know I hope wish the best for Tim Wakefield. I always love watching watching him play, but that's something that uh that should be in the the person who's going through that should have the the right to to how that information goes out. Even on the podcast, Schilling says that he and Wakefield hadn't remained particularly close since the end of their playing careers, but did stay in touch. And so he put it on in, he put it on his own responsibility to uh, 
release this incredibly personal information about Tim Wakefield's brain cancer. So I, I think the focus should be more on Wakefield than on, uh, on the other person. I was at Wakefield's first Major League start. Um, remember, he was a pirate for two years. They thought he was going to be the ace after the two years, and uh, that knuckleball died on him. Yeah. He had to go back to the minor leagues. They released him. The Red Sox picked him up, and the rest is history. He was like mis- almost like a Mr. Red Sox for, all the, for, for like 17 or 18 years. But I remember that. Forget what day of the, ni- what day of the week it was, but it was Pirates-Cardinals, 1992, it would have been late July or very early August, and I'd never seen a knuckleball before. And he goes out and strikes, strikes out 10 Cardinals. The Pirates won, and he was their ace. He was their ace the rest of that season. So I, I, I certainly hope that he, uh, that he recovers. I'd like to see the knuckleball come back a little bit. Uh, was it Phil Necro and uh, R.A. Dickey, mm-hmm. Tim Wakefield? Those would be the only three knuckleballs. Would, would did Dizzy Dean throw a knuckle? No, if he did, it was just sort of Those I, only I doubt th- he ever did. Yeah. I don't remember the last. There was an Oriole pitcher that was a knuckleballer recently. The difference, though, is, you know, Wakefield was a first baseman. Okay. He was in the minor leagues. Um, I don't remember what round the Pirates drafted him, but it was very late, like probably when you still had over 40 rounds, and he was a first baseman who couldn't hit. So he used to mess around during warm-ups with a knuckleball that he learned from his father. And, and his catch partner, I don't remember who it was, I think his catch partner was like, maybe you ought to think about you know, using Switching this on the majors. mound. Yeah, yeah. And, and the next thing, he turned himself into a knuckleballer, and he's, uh, he's in the Hall of Very Good. Oh yeah, some of those great pitchers were were position players that just couldn't hit. Yeah, he's Boston Red Sox folklore, huh? I mean, he'll be remembered for forever. That's that's how I know he came up through the Pirates. But that's I remember him as a Red Sox. See, I wanted to get in. We're going to talk with Brett Dolan from Touchdown Radio and and Razorback Athletics in the upcoming segment about uh, the uh, Auburn Georgia game. He was also at Penn State and Iowa, which was uh, not a really good game for uh, the uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes. Uh, but let's zero in here on, on Georgia and Auburn for a moment. This is the South's oldest rivalry, right? That's what this one is called. It's the 2.30 CBS game at Jordan-Hare. Georgia is a 14-and-a-half-point favorite. I don't, I, don't, I don't expect this to be a really pretty game for Auburn because they really had a lot of trouble moving the ball against the Aggies. I think they're going to have a lot of trouble moving the ball overall, no matter who they play, especially in the Southeastern Conference and especially against Georgia this weekend. Um, I, don't, I don't think this spells very good things for an Auburn team that really they just can't pass the ball very much. And when you look at how they've run, you know, how they, the success or lack thereof that they might have had on the ground, uh, Georgia's play, uh, pardon me, Auburn this year has played four games. This is why you can't always look at the season averages four games in and go by the season averages. Auburn has played four games. <clears throat> they ran for 203 yards against UMass, ran for three, four, pardon me, I'm looking at the passing numbers. They ran for 289 against UMass, 222 against Samford, but didn't crack 145 yards against Cal or, or Texas A&M. You got to go by what you do against FBS teams, don't you? Uh, Auburn's not ready. Uh, that that's that's clear. I'm glad they're on our schedule this year. Uh, that that should be one of those games that I, I I feel confident about us getting a victory. And then there were the passing yards that Auburn had against these two teams. UMass Auburn threw for 203. Samford 340. They didn't even get to they didn't even get to 203 yards in the two games against Cal and A and M. 
94 yards passing against the Bears. They won that game. And uh, 56 yards passing against A&M. You know, somebody will look at me, oh, you're never going to win a game running for 56 yards. I don't think you're ever going to win a game passing for 56 yards, not in this day and age. That's tough. Uh, Phil, you called it uh, when, when we were talking about, about the, the season and getting ready that uh, Hugh Freeze, uh, what, that they weren't going to be – it's going to take an extra year. And so I, I do think it would take one more transfer portal for, for Auburn to kind of be back a little bit. And it may take a transfer portal for a quarterback specifically. That's, that's it, They've right? got Walker White got coming it. into next year's class. I'd be surprised if he's ready to go as a freshman, wouldn't you? I, I mean, you, you get one, one or two freshmen that, that a special player can come in and, and play. What would be interesting to see if, uh, if Archie Manning leaves, uh, t- talking about Texas, if, if Hewers is going to be there for another year. I, I think he would be somebody that could be the Auburn quarterback. It would be interesting if he did transfer. I'd be surprised if that happens, though. Because um, I would imagine, you know, you show up there and you're like, all right, somebody else may end up coming over here. This is Texas. Nobody's just – someone else wants to play. In fact, when he signed there, when he signed at Texas, Ewers was already there. Yeah. So he knew what he was getting into. Um, and it, would, it does feel like it would be a surprise if he, uh, if he did transfer. Um, what do you want to see more of Arkansas and A&M? I want to see more of Rashad Dubinian or just riding the hot hand when you can. I do wonder if you're able to do that this weekend because if Rocket's available – there is that feeling that you want to get him reintegrated into the offense and getting used to getting hit. Because if he's playing this weekend, that means he's playing next weekend. And he's still going to be your number one running back. Yeah, you, you, hopefully he can play and, and be healthy. Um, and the, the thing with him, you take it slow with him. If he gets a couple carries in there and he's rocking and he's rolling uh, and he can go, you, you keep him going and, and you, you want to ask him after every series, you know, how, how's his knee going? And then And then you'll... You'll kind of take it like that. What I want to see is this continuation, and it's kind of hand-in-hand with what you want to see on offense. It's this continuation of being 8 of 13 on third down. Yeah. We we got to possess the ball. Which goes along with what you saw from Dubinion in this last game, which was more success on first Mm -hmm. down running the ball and then running it again on second down. You got to limit uh, Bobby Petrino's possessions. You you got to limit Texas A&M's possessions, and you do that by by keeping the ball yourself and and, and running the ball and moving the clock. And uh, that that's that would be the thing on offense. I want to see on defense. Uh, we we got to cover down the field. We got to cover down the field, and we got to tackle in space. Petrino's going to co- call some stuff. The receivers are going to catch the ball in some wide open green grass. We got to be able to come down and and, and tackle them and limit like because LSU had a forty nine yard touchdown play, forty seven yard touchdown play. We got to limit those big plays that we were so good at those first two games of the year. Passion is something that exists in all of us. I know we got a lot of passionate hog fans listening right now, and I know that all of you love football season. Dave Bushkill and his team over at Eastside Liquor are the exact same way. They can take care of all your tailgating and party needs, whether it's just a few beers or alcohol in bulk. Stop by 9390 Rogers Avenue in Fort Smith to check off every item on your list. Eastside Liquor, your number one stop for Arkansas football this season. The Arlington Resort Hotel and Spa has everything you want for your next getaway. With the luxury and hospitality of a grand old southern hotel, the accommodations are sure to please everyone. Visit our thermal water bathhouse for mineral water baths and massages or enjoy one of our many dining options, like our Friday night seafood buffet, primetime in a fountain room every Saturday night, or our award-winning Sunday brunch. Located in downtown Hot Springs, the Arlington is steps away from shopping, entertainment, bathhouse row, and the hiking and biking trails of the National Park. Visit ArlingtonHotel.com for more information. 
Brett Dolan's with us on the McClarty Daniel Hotline. Touchdown radio play-by-play. Man of many hats uh, calling Arkansas Athletics. And appreciate his visits here on these Thursdays. What's up, Brett? How are you? Hey, guys. Good to be with you as always. Uh, it's kind of a fun time of the year as we're getting towards October and more meaningful conference games. Fun, hmm? Yeah, Penn State had all the fun this past Saturday. What is it like to be an Iowa grad watching your program get demolished on a national radio broadcast, and you get to try to be like, okay, I'm fine with this? Yeah, no, it was kind of below average. At one point, I think in the third quarter, my partner said, you know, Iowa has two first downs, and I said at least on one of the first downs, they fumbled when they were in field goal range. So, you know, they, they had that going for them. Uh, you know, it, it was a scene at Penn State. I enjoyed being around 110,000 fans. Um, probably one of the best game day atmospheres you can have in a whiteout. The rest of the game, <laughs> I didn't enjoy that too terribly much. 76 yards total for Iowa. I mean, is there any chance you see the same kind of game this weekend? you got Georgia and Auburn. And, uh, man, there would be other years that I think this would be a great matchup. I'm not sure if this is one of those years. No, it's interesting you say that because I, I think there are some parallels. Uh, you know, you have a – I mean, Penn State might be a top five-ish team. I think we'll know more in a couple of weeks when they play Ohio State. We know Georgia is every bit number one. And while they have a few warts and injuries and blemishes, right now there's nobody knocking on the door to take them down. And Auburn is an offensively challenged team. Uh, they can't quite figure out their quarterback situation. They haven't run the football terribly well. They probably should have lost that game. In fact, they should have lost that game at Cal. It was just a disgrace with all the craziness that went on. Regardless, you know, it, it is a rivalry game. It is in Auburn, which is another tremendous home field advantage in the SEC and college football. And, and Georgia has, has just had their challenges as well. I mean, they were trailing South Carolina into the second half. They've not been dynamic. They, they haven't had the type of playmakers that they've had in recent years. So I don't know. I think Auburn's best hope, of course, is just to muddy it up as, as best they can and, and hope Georgia doesn't pick this week to finally get on track. One of my favorite games last week was the Notre Dame-Ohio State game. Uh, and and, and I, I had Notre Dame in that one. And maybe if they had played 11 players on the field in the, the last of the game, they would have had a chance. <laughs> um, I didn't know if you got your eyes on that, but I, I wanted to get your th- thoughts on this Notre Dame going to Duke game. That's a sneaky good game that I've, I've had some football people say that Duke could win that game. Well, I agree with you. And I, I think probably it's one of the three or four most entertaining games this week. And I, I picked Ohio State, and I was kind of on the fence last week, and I'll take it, even though they really had to pull a rabbit out of the hat late to figure it out, even before we got to the situation where there were 10 men on the field. I don't know what to make of Duke, Matt. I mean, we all kind of watched them play Clemson early in the year, and they dominated Clemson. Even though Clemson probably should have had a few more points in the first half, Duke just kept getting better and better. Obviously, Elko came from A&M, so he's used to a different brand of football from the SEC to the ACC. I'll be watching that game Saturday night, though, because I'll be intrigued. There has to be a little bit of a hangover or frustration with Notre Dame after basically kind of giving a game away late and now having to go and gear up again for another game. So I think Duke at least has that little edge of being at home and facing the Irish after a tough, tough Saturday night. Let's see, so far, Brett has seen in person uh, Texas a- as far as SEC teams, mm-hmm. Texas A&M, Ole Miss. He's going to see two teams mm-hmm. uh, this week. Um, I knew what your schedule was for the first five weeks, Brett. Who you got next week and then after that? How many? You're going to see a lot of SEC teams coming up soon? Yeah, we've got Mizzou and LSU next week, which is actually now going to be a pretty good game. I mean, yeah. you're looking at a top 25 matchup that maybe three weeks ago didn't look like it. 
We're going to go to Wisconsin in a few weeks after that, and we've got Michigan, Michigan State in October. So we're back in the Big Ten. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I did tell you guys last week I wasn't terribly high on Ole Miss and their offense after seeing them in person, and, and they sort of laid an egg at Alabama. And now I'm curious to see what, what LSU looks like next week after just watching the game like you guys did uh, on TV or in person uh, last Saturday in Baton Rouge. Well, that's that's a dynamic offense, you know. I think that I think they've got they've got it all as far as as far as that's concerned. I do wonder about their their ability to stop teams a little bit. And quite honestly, Brad, I think LSU Ole Miss going to be maybe the highest scoring game this weekend in the SEC. I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be. I don't know if Ole Miss can keep up with them offensively. I, you know, I, I told you last week, I think there's a lot of people that look at Jackson Dart's numbers and say, wow, he's having a good year. I don't think he is. And, and I don't think he had a great day last week either. Um, but I, that's the game that I look at. And Matt picked one. I think Duke and Notre Dame is fun. I think that Ole Miss LSU, if I was a betting person and I'm not, that would be one that I'd really have to lock in on because it could be maybe one of the handful of more entertaining games this week. If LSU's offense is as dynamic as it was last week, they will win. Uh, if, if Ole Miss can, can kind of get their act together, uh, that could be a really a crazy type game or finish. So you, you were there to see Miami shred the Aggies secondary. Um, what did I see? Nine plays of 15 yards or more in the air. I mean, they had, they had a lot of long passing plays. Does Arkansas they have did. the kind of offense that can take advantage of that too? I've been thinking for the last couple of weeks, yes. Uh, you know, the one game I haven't watched yet of Auburn's four is, is last week against A&M, but, but obviously they did nothing. The back end of A&M's secondary just made way too many mistakes. They're young. They've had some problems. I would think that would be a tremendous opportunity for K.J. and the offense to get some big plays, maybe flip the field, uh, score some touchdowns rather than field goals in certain spots and win. I, I think that would have to be kind of a pro Arkansas notch if you're going down the list and giving points out yay or nay. Um, and I've also been a huge Wigman fan. And, I, you know, I, I, he's not going to play this week, and, and Johnson's been okay. Uh, he's been fine, but he's not as good as Wigman. So I, I think there's a couple of dynamic advantages right there for Arkansas. The secondary for A&M, even though Auburn didn't do anything against them last week, and, and not having to face Wigman and getting Johnson instead. If uh, going to this Kansas Texas game, uh, does Kansas have a shot? Uh, I'm, what I've seen at Texas so far, man, they're, they they got all the talent. Uh, they're they're tough. They're physical. They're strong. Uh, can can Kansas pull off this upset this weekend? Ooh, interesting, right? I mean, I, I'm with you. I think Texas is probably, in fact, as far as resumes go, theirs is is probably have to be the best. I know they didn't play really well against Wyoming at home, but when you win at Alabama on the road, that gives you early bragging points in the first month of the year, and they probably should be the second-best team in college football. I was curious with Kansas, how would they play against BYU last week, only because we watched BYU the previous week. And I thought, you know, the Cougars were a eight, nine-point underdog, and I thought if you're in an underdog pool or something, that might be a good selection to see if BYU can do it again. And Kansas handled it. Kansas throttled Illinois. Um, they've taken care of their business to this point. I don't know if they're near as good as a Texas team, but they're very much worthy of being in the top 25. And that's just, just crazy to say. It's, it gets back to that basketball school year with Duke and, and Kansas and a few other schools that we aren't used to seeing in college football uh, putting up some pretty good campaigns at least through the first third of the year. 
Brett, Brett how, how, why is Oklahoma being a little bit overlooked? You know, any other time they were 4-0 and, and that quarterback Gabriel they have, he's 12 touchdowns, one interception. I mean, he's just been playing phenomenal. And uh, they're, they're just ranked 14th right now. Valid question. I think there's a little bit of probably lingering effect from last year. That was terrible last year under Coach Venables. And maybe we should have given him a little bit of slack because every coach deserves at least a couple of years to turn it, even in this transfer portal era. Last year at times it just it did not resemble Oklahoma football, offensively or defensively. They, they've gotten off to a much better start. And I think they're probably deserving of a little more recognition. They're probably another two or three weeks away if they continue to take care of their business uh, of moving up. They won't be tested other than that Texas matchup for a while. So they have a chance, but it, I think it's going to magnify the importance or the fun of, of watching that game coming up with uh, Texas. That's always kind of a wild one, just as, as that A&M Arkansas game is too. For whatever reason, um, it kind of tilts a team season in one direction or another. The winner seems to really propel forward, and the loser has some uh, lingering effects, and, and, and Oklahoma will have that opportunity. But I, I'm with you. I don't think we've talked about them near enough considering what they've done in the first month. Brad, i got to ask if you came across Brooks Robinson in your time um, with the Astros or, or all the years in the minor leagues. Uh, you know, Brooks, you know, I think he, he, he would kind of show up in some places sometimes where he, you might not have expected it. Did you come across him? I have, but it's been a long time. I don't know about you. It, it's probably been 20-some years since I had a chance to, to sit down with Brooks and, you know, a, a consummate gentleman. Um, I wish I would have been able to spend more time with him in the last couple of decades at various baseball events. But, uh, wow, what a life and, and, you know, what a baseball career. Kind of likened him to maybe like Ozzie Smith without the speed and with a little more power at a position next to it. Um, you know, when you talk about the greatest third baseman of all time, you talk about guys like Schmidt, Brett, uh, Eddie Matthews, Adrian Beltre, guys that were really good with the glove. Um, Brooks wasn't a great hitter. He was a good hitter, and he turned right. himself into that, but he was an otherworldly fielder. Right, for a guy who didn't have a great arm, you know, he just he, he found a way to get it done. I, I was a George Brett fan growing up in Iowa, and, and George tweeted a couple of days ago, it was just to him and a picture with Brooks at the inn in Cooperstown with their arms around each other, and George said this was the best number five. They both wore five, best third baseman. It was a, it was a great tribute. There's not as many elite third basemen in our game as there are outfielders or first basemen or whatever. There's a handful, and you know those, those guys were two of, the, two of the very best, along with those guys you mentioned, Schmidt and others. So, Matt, Brett's got Auburn, Georgia <coughs> at Jordan-Hare Stadium. Um, I don't know. Have you been? Have you called a game at Auburn before, Brett? Yeah, it's been a couple of years. We, we usually do two a year. So I've had two Iron Bowls, and we're going to have our third at the end of the year for me. Okay. Um, and, Is, did uh, they put you in the corner of the end zone like they put the visiting radio team? Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. When we, we, when we first started going there, we were below the ra home radio booth on a ledge, which was great. And now we're in the hermetically sealed booth in the end zone that you can't see. It's the second level. Like, if you were up on a high, it would be different. You'd be able to call it. You'd be like seeing the all 22. But you're on the second level. It's like you have no idea what's going on on the other side of the field. No, no, no. In fact, it was, uh, it might have been an LSU Auburn game several years ago. I called it at the very end of the field, far into the end zone, pylon, diving catch, inbounds, out of bounds, no clue. And that's when Auburn had Seth Campbell and others. They had an 18 and an 81. And I'm 200 yards away at almost field level, looking through a window without a monitor, and good luck. I mean, 
pick, pick one and hope you're not wrong. I was wrong. I picked the wrong one. 1881. You, you, it's, uh, it's, it's beyond a challenge. It must be like what some of those people had to do during COVID when they're calling games off monitors and they have no clue on certain plays what's taking place. And that's, that's what we get, unfortunately. Yeah, kind of. Um, what's your week like? Because you're, I mean, during the week, I know you're doing some Arkansas soccer. You got volleyball you're handling. You're, you know, keeping up on Arkansas football and all the other teams. Got basketball practice starting soon. I'm sure you get your eyes on some of that. You got to prep for your football game on the baseball weekend. Baseball playoffs playing coming your travel, up. Travel, baseball playoffs. You're going all the, you're talking, you want to go see Acuna play one more game in Atlanta. Like, do you ever sit down? No, it's it's, uh, it's funny. I'm not complaining, but it's it's pretty much eight in the morning till one in the morning every day, seven days a week lately. Because the last two Saturdays, I've had maybe an hour and a half of sleep. I've gone to the airport, two flights, landed in Arkansas, and gone straight to either a soccer game or a volleyball game. We got back from Happy Valley at maybe two in the morning, and I had to be up at four to go to the airport, and uh, we had a volleyball game that afternoon. So. We haven't had any games this week. Next week is soccer and volleyball again around sandwiching the trip to uh, Mizzou for the LSU game. So uh, it's it's a little crazy. There's not a lot of sleep right now, but it, it, it beats the alternative. Please tell me you're driving the Columbia trip. Don't don't try to make this out of our airline miles uh, like the Lawrence, Kansas trip. Please drive to Columbia. No, I've got to get the miles. I need to get oh, back to the class come on. You realize you're going to get stuck somewhere for five hours. You may miss kickoff or show up just in time. Well, if I miss something, maybe it'll be the, the volleyball or soccer the next day. But uh, I, I've got to, I think I'm going to drive to TCU for Texas TCU late in the year if we can get that game. So I've got a couple of drives left, but I'm going to force a trip just for your uh, enjoyment if I get stranded someplace and end up spending two days in St. Louis right, at the good. airport. Brag on the miles. How many you got? You're a million miler. What's going on in that? In that? In that I know trailer? they're making it tough, right? They're constantly knocking you down. They're trying to take the man out. So I need. To, I need to get back. I enjoy my upgrades and uh, my first class, whatever they upgrade me. So I just scramble to get there every year. I've got some work to do. I'm, get, I'm moving up the chain, but I've, I've got another couple of months of football to get me close. Are you like George Clooney and up in the air? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You gotta, you gotta, his job's not going away. I know, but you got to check that out if you if you're if you're an airline guy. Yeah. All right, uh, I'll do that. They'll give me something to do when uh, we get to December and things slow down. You're listening to the Eastside Liquor Halftime Podcast. Check out the Bud Light Morning Rush Podcast at hitthatline.com. This podcast has been presented by Bet Online. This podcast is an exclusive property of Pearson Broadcasting. It may not be copied, reproduced, modified, published, uploaded, reposted, transmitted, or distributed in any way without Pearson Broadcasting's prior written consent. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.